Now, I have to say this first because for some reason I keep meeting wonderful and interesting people at picnics. This is especially the case with today's author, Julia Landberg. Now, you, can't, you could say that Julia is a Swedish student who has almost finished her studies with the BPA course at WAPA. But you can also say that she is a, an, an actor, singer, viol, 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 violinist, dancer, writer and producer. At the start of the year of this year, she helped bring to theatrical life the Perth Fringe World Festival show Passengers at the Noodle Palace. And also, later on in the year, she'll help bring to life Tilt, the BPA graduating festival at the Blue Room Theatre. Julia, welcome. Thank you. Sorry for that little brief tongue tidiness, but I have to first say, I have to first say, um, we are recording in winter. Yep. And what's really, really interesting, I have to say that this, this has been the driest, just a fun fact, this has been the driest June in WA's history, but today marks the wettest day of Perth's uh, history. Oh, that explains all the water today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny? Hmm. This is kind of Swedish summer. Is it? it yeah, it is. <laughs> so is it like, because I'm Sweden, because it's, it's the very north of Europe. Yep. So is it literally like sort of one season? Oh, or? no, we actually, well, we have all four seasons, even if it's much it's much colder. So in summer, we do go to the beach. It does get over 30, if you're lucky. But you can also be as unlucky as having a really rainy summer. It just rains and it's cold. It's 15 degrees. But it's still summer. And it's still warmer than minus 20. <laughs> Which is winter, usually. Or you can just have a really wet year all around and have no snow or anything. See, that's one of the things I love about Europe is the snow because being living in Down Under and if you don't live up in the mountains, you don't get any snow. True. Actually, I actually went skiing in, um, where was it, in, uh, in Snow Mountains in, not Perisher. Oh, the Blue Mountains. No. No, Snowy Mountains. Snowy Mountains. Yeah. Long, long time ago. I don't remember what it's called, but it's not Perisher. It's the other one. <laughs> Julia. Coming from one of the Nordic countries, Sweden, mm -hmm. what's your relationship with the English language? <laughs> oh, wow. Not at all. I can't speak it. <laughs> I think we, as Swedes, most of us actually start learning it earlier and earlier in school. I remember when I was a kid, we started learning English in third grade. Hmm. But now I think they actually start in first grade. Might even even earlier maybe, because it's such an international language and yeah. we are so influenced by it by TV by clothes um, expressions uh, um, a lot of different a lot of different things actually so it's a very close relationship yeah. and I do notice that a lot of us actually when we're speaking Swedish we might throw in English words or English sentences that describe that particularly that particular thing better than the Swedish equivalent. Like, exciting. Such a common word as exciting is so much better in English than it is in Swedish. Yeah, but it's, it's 
quite little Australian English actually. It's mostly American. Yeah, because that's I'm I'm very curious like what type of English obviously American, but then you've got sort of like British English. Mm. I'm very fascinated with like the Nordic countries like Sweden, Denmark, Norway. Mm. <laughs> trying to listen. <laughs> but but I'm I'm just fascinated how I remember listening there's this I think it is a Swedish or is it Maybe it's actually in Denmark. There's this interesting chat show. Yeah. And it's... I remember the reason why I was watching it on YouTube, because I think they, they, they interview, like, famous people, like uh, John Cleese. Mm. I remember one... He was on it, and the, the host... I don't know, there's such a fluidity with Swedish and English. It's, I don't know, I think this is coming from a place of... I wish here in Australia we did take like a precedence like yeah learn learn another language in mm. year one yeah it's i think the earlier the start you start obviously the better better it is to the easier it is to learn it and personally i think it's really useful because uh, it's not only a, i remember when i learned spanish it's not mm. only about the language really it's about learning about a different culture and knowing why you speak a certain way which i think is really interesting um even if, even if, you know, the third language that we learn in school, French, German or Spanish, kind of comes in, like, well, well second, second hand, yeah. when it can, compared to English, which is much more present. Obviously, now, when I study here, I hear every day, yeah. oh, Julia is so Swedish. Oh, you're so Swedish, Julia. <laughs> oh, you sound so Swedish. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Can't you overlook that? Have you had, like, what's it like <laughs> acting? Because this is what I'm interested in, because um, the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this all up and why Ryan is so fascinated with this mm. is because um, we had a... I'm not sure if you met him. Um, his full name is Ru Ru Rudolf Hendricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's a, a Dutch from the Netherlands, an exchange student who studied art course. A, a brilliant, brilliant artist. I think he's now in Melbourne. Anyway, I digress. Mm. But it was interesting for him because I, I remember one day in class, um, Rudy, he was doing a scene right and he had to put on an, an American accent, which yeah. he did. But it, it's so hard because I remember the notes back and Tamara, Tamara Cook, our acting teacher, is so interesting. And Rudy was saying, and you know, you've got those so many layers. You've got the accent, mm -hmm. you've got English, and then you, you, you've got Dutch. Yep. So... Do you feel like you have to soup? I'm trying to phrase this like you have to become like English actor Julia and Swedish actor Julia. Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? It's like yeah, definitely. It's um, when when talking about em emotions in in acting and really connecting to the text. For me, it's it's much easier in Swedish because that's my my Swedish words are automatically, I have to yeah. think about it, they're automatically um, loaded with different emotions and it's much easier to connect. But with the English language, it's getting, it's getting easier and easier, but it's also this bit of alienation also mm. to certain words, which I might not even understand until I look it up, um, whereas an Australian actor would get it straight away. And... But I think I know I, I'm terrible at doing like different English accents. It's like, oh, uh. <laughs> so mostly I focus on just 
connecting to the text and delivering the text before I put tried to put a different accent on and it really helped me. I both had a Swedish director, yeah. um, Kirchen, who helped me when I did an audition for Wafa and I actually spoke to him about this and he and he said, Imagine if imagine you as a Swedish character mm. speaking to an English character, so you still have to speak in English but your emotions to that character might be real. So, yeah. so you have to stop thinking about the way you pronounce it and just get, get what you want across to that person. And as soon as I stopped worrying about my pronunciation, yeah. it was much easier. And Tamara Cook also said, said the same, same thing. And I try to remember that when I get too caught up in trying to pronounce it the, the correct way. Yeah. You know, doing Shakespeare. <laughs> you, just, <laughs> you just stand there and you go, oh God, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, that's basically my relationship with acting in English. Just have to get the emotions across. That's one of the... And so technically it should be very easy for someone who's, who's born in a native English-speaking country about acting... Oh, don't don't get me wrong. (laughs) Sometimes with Swedish texts, it's also like, what am I saying? I understand every word, but what am I saying? (laughs) It's the same thing for us. Oh, here's an interesting question because this is... Sorry, everyone, I'm just going on a tangent because I I love language. Just to give you a bit of context, uh, context, dear listeners, if anyone remembers that show, Allo, Allo, I'm not sure you, you know it. So it's basically, it was in the 80s and 90s, early 90s and early 80s, it was just basically a British a sitcom about a French uh, cafe owner, René. Anyway, and it was set during the World War II, and it was, it's, it was basically like a farce, it was a comedy. He was looking um, after two airmen, who, two British airmen who landed near his mm. cafe and he had to protect it from the Germans. Um, meanwhile, he was having an affair with all these women. Um, it was, and he, and yeah, so, and like, no offense, but the, the Rene, like, he puzzled himself, God, he's like this tall, big, fat bloke, and yet he's sleeping with all these women, and, and yet he's, he's running away from the Germans, and, I oh know, it's very farcical, and he, mm. and he's trying to steal great works of art to sell money after the war, and he tries to escape to Spain. Anyway. These adventures, but what's really interesting about that show is how they conveyed different languages. So every mm. single character spoke English, even the the British yep. and the French. So, so they all spoke English, so mm. we could understand. But what they did was they'd, they'd speak in a French accent. Mm. So they would speak like this, and I am now talking in French. Yep. And then they'd have scenes with the British airmen, and they're going, "What? Sorry, don't speak French, dear boy." And, uh, you know, but, but, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's by accents. So I'm curious, like, watching in Sweden, like, watching the, the natural, uh, natural, um, native programming and, and watching, like, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not up to date with my Swedish um, <laughs> TV shows TV and shows. whatnot. Uh, neither. <laughs> oh, do you know, like, in films or anything, like, when they have, like, an American... Do you have like a foreigner speaking Swedish in a different accent? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Or just having yeah, just having Swedes putting on an American accent. But I think it's more common in like children's show. 
for them to not okay. having to rely on being able to read um, the text or to not understand. So I think that's more common there. And I do have a feeling that not only in, in Swedish television or hmm. films, but also more in, in English or more in Hollywood, hmm. that it's this kind of strive for letting different languages be different languages. Mm, yeah. Especially in like historical movies or just take X-Men that yeah. Magneto, he does speak German. He's not only putting on... Yes. The, yeah, you know. And I feel like there's um, for like credibility. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just a very 21st century thing uh, or if it's something that they are doing more and more but yeah doing different accents i'm just thinking of the phantom of the opera too <laughs> but the whole movie yeah. the whole movie is in france it's french yeah but they're talking english which is it, it's fine but then you have that one character who has a french accent and you're like, <laughs> why do you have a french accent <laughs> no one else has it everyone else speaks like more like yeah. english english yeah. and that bugs bugs me a little bit when it doesn't really make sense for it to be that way. But yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I don't know. I think that's like a very fascinating... I don't know, yeah, conundrum or thought. I know, that's, that interests me. And hopefully through the genera the generations, um, through the... Uh, I'm lost for words now. I think it's the weather. <laughs> having that wintertime rain. Mm. Why study in Western Australia? Because of Whopper. <laughs> um, well that actually is the reason the school came came first I did hear about it through my Swedish acting school mm. Kalle Flygades Teaterskola a two year, one year or two years acting diploma private school which has collaboration with WAPA so I heard about it and I got really interested because I was an exchange student in Sydney when I was in high school so I loved Australia and I really wanted to go back. So it really caught my attention. I read about it and the course seemed really interesting and the school seemed fantastic. Mm. Really well known, really like an amazing school. And then it happened to be in Perth. And I was like, I haven't been to Perth. I did travel around Australia quite a lot last time I was there, but I haven't been to Perth. Yeah. So why, why not? So I actually went there with the school in mind and not really knowing that much about Western Australia. Mm. I had a few cousins and friends who traveled around a little bit. So they told me about Broome, they told me about Perth, a yeah. little bit around it. But they were like, that's basically it. That's Western <laughs> Australia for you. And I was like, really? Are you serious? <laughs> but now having lived here for a while, I'm like, oh God, there's so much in Western Australia to do, which you... You kind of have to get to know after a little while. It's like little, little like clams, treasures that opens up around you. Yeah. I just heard when I was in my Uber driver when I went home from the airport told me about this sandboarding, like this, these sand dunes yeah. not too far away where you could sandboard. And I was like, oh, really? That's just that's exciting. Um, so, well, the reason was because of the school, but. Yeah. Now, I, I wouldn't mind staying in Perth for a little bit because oh. I haven't seen everything that's in, in Perth. Living in Perth for a couple of years, mm. what's 
a lesson that keeps returning to you? Hmm. I think it is to it's it's going to be translated com- like like a Google translation into English to dig where you stand. Ah. It kind of means instead of trying to um, reach out for for different things, different different opportunities. Um, or if I was only there, this would happen to me. Or if I only did that, that would open up so many doors. But digging where you stand kind of kind of means to find opportunities that are where you are. Hmm. To reach out to those people who are immediately around you, your teachers, the, the city you are in, to find those opportunities there, to create your own opportunities. And that's a lesson that keeps returning to me, especially after I've studying BPA, which is independent um, mm. perform- performance making. And to not try to think that all the opportunities are elsewhere. Mm. And that's why I feel like I'm not done with Perth at all. It, it, like the opportunities have just started open up, opening up in Perth yeah. because I've started to really try to dig out all the different um, stages and performing platforms that are here in in Perth. So that's a lesson that really keeps returning to me, to dig where I stand. <laughs> to dig where you, Oh, wow, that's a great one. That's a really great one. Yeah. I'll take that. You'll take that. I'll take Put that it in your pocket. pocket. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last show you've seen? Blueprint. Ah, very good, very On good. On Tuesday. Yes. So the day before yesterday um, at the Blue Room. Yeah. So, yeah, Blueprint is your classmates. Yes. <laughs> extended version of the rocket man that they put up in tilt last yes, year yes and i gotta hand it to them it was it was amazing mm. they they did a really great job with extending upon an already made work and finding new things to make it feel fresh to to make it into pretty much a completely different story mm. and all the lifts and the physical work they'd done um I, I get so happy when I see a show that's really good, yeah. <laughs> and it's not—it's not because I'm like I know them. Yeah, it's because it, I feel genuine about it. That ah, I really did enjoy this. And can I just say, I think yeah, you—you you took the words right out of my mouth because <laughs> it was one of those shows that I've just saw recently. Like I saw Blueprint. I think no, I think it's technically the week before you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, the week up? Yeah, the week before. Anyway, and I think you're right. Yeah, I definitely... See, it was weird because I I know the show, like I saw it's like a prototype, as it were, in Rocket Man mm. um, for last year's Tilt uh, Festival. But I definitely felt... Uh, yeah, it was weird because, you know, when you go to a show, especially studying the BPA course, mm. you, you always go on with your eyes to learn. So obviously, like, you, take, you pay particular um, focus onto, you know, the design... Mm. Um, what atmosphere that it can give the themes you know you get technical looking at the gobos and you know what have you and you get really sucked and you're sort of in like this weird work mode yeah but where where i went to blueprint i just sat there and i just enjoyed it and i couldn't really like because you always try to find mistakes in shows Mm. but with this one i felt like oh no i can just sit back relax don't have to work today yeah just just enjoy Mm. And I think it's very rare. I should also, to give a bit of context, uh, basically Blueprint um, is about a group, um, it's a trio of people 
who are who are doing this um, experimental uh, space program. This is sort of set in the near future, a space program to travel to Mars. Mm. Yeah, to travel to Mars. And for a year, they have to go through this excruciating uh, program. They're, they're sort of um, down to the last three. They had like a list beforehand, but now they're down to the last three. And they've got a year to go, I believe. Or I think it was six months. Six they months, They would so, educate yeah. you in six months. Six months. And, but what was great thing about the show is because during, you get to see this six-month journey play out mm. in front of your eyes. I really liked the show because it did ask you the question of, you know, what makes us human? Yeah. And it's kind of scary. And like, and the show talks about, you know, human genetics. And there's a part of the show, I don't want to give too much away, where the guys are testing out that they're, they're given a new drug or something to make their bones a lot stronger. Mm. And there's this gripping scene where they, they attempt to hit each other with this great big metal pole to see if any of their bones would break. Yeah. But it was really, it's really interesting. But it made me think, like, we are genetically modified in a sense already now. Mm, the difference between yeah. playing God and yeah. natural evolution and the eth ethics and morals that comes with that. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm. <laughs> you pretty much answered this next question. I, I was going to ask you, do you see yourself <laughs> having you. a future in the land of Oz? Mm. Oh, God. <laughs> and I think, I think, yeah... I don't know, like, do you see yourself, I don't know, living... Both yes and no, mostly yes. I did have kind of the, my choice, or I gave myself a choice to either go back to, to Sweden after I graduated or stay in Perth or Melbourne. Or, mm. And a part of me wanted to go, go back to, to Sweden where I kind of felt, well, it, it's my home. And I felt like I had contacts there, networking yeah. and all of that. But I also felt that it would be such a shame building up all these relationships and all this networking and, and skills and everything that I've learned and got to know in Perth and just scrap that, leave that, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. And that made me really want to stay, at least for a while. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know how long I'm going to stay. Okay, I'm really bad at planning ahead. <laughs> but I would love to to stay. You know, the, the, best op the, my, the best option would be to always get summer. To go back to Sweden, May, June, July, August, get that Swedish summer. Yeah. And then coming back to Australia the rest of the year, only have always have summer always all year round summer. you know <laughs> work a bit here work a bit there yeah. <laughs> no i don't i don't know but as it looks now i would i would love to stay mm. a little longer to see what i can do what opportunities i have here and what other people are gonna do yeah just to just to stay and see what happens who or what made you pursue a career in the arts in the first place i'm very curious well what made you, you know, go down this sort of bitted path of the art yeah. or can be bitted and, and a bit patchy? And... I think it was actually that it runs a little bit in my family because oh. my dad's mom was a photographer and painter. Um, so every time I came home to her, it was always paint with oils or, yeah. you know, doing something that had to do with visual arts. And then I think she gave that sense to my dad as well but he was very into music as well and 
and performing in his yeah. in his youth. He had he had a band when he was a teenager <laughs> called Poison Mixes, and they yeah, like you know this like garage band that yeah. would perform and well he had it as a hobby and I think then he passed it on to me and put me in theatre courses when I was seven. Oh, wow. Probably because they couldn't stand me at home. <laughs> I don't know, I think I just was really interested in it and I just kept going. Um, I, I played the violin as well, so music yeah. was always present and then theatre and painting and did a lot of horse riding as well, but then the, the artist part just took over. Yeah. And I didn't do much theatre in school because we we kind of after year nine we kind of choose a program which is a little bit similar to like a mini university where I chose to study civics international civics which had a lot of social studies social economy um, international economy international relationships and all of that so I did it more on the side but then I was like look this is what I want to do I rather do that every every day and really work for it than to go to somewhere go to a job that I I kind of half like and then I'm too tired to do anything else when I come home mm. so I just went with it and applied for this theater school that I wanted to go to the the, the school yeah. that has collaboration with Wapa so I just wanted to to apply for that try that out and I got in and then it was just straightforward from there yeah. there was no going back and our artistic director I think it's in English it's Konstnalig Ledare which we had there um, Erik Ian he said something really interesting during one of our sessions it was pretty basically why settle for the easy and pretty much try to encourage us to, to keep on working and to keep having that passion and to keep having that strive that even if you get a job as an actor you have to keep working yeah, and yeah. Have to, you have to keep doing 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 the, all that research and that passion and to try to see an artistic job like any other job if you want to become a doctor you have to study study yeah. so hard why believe that if you if you pursue something artistic that you have to have the talent, you have to just wing it, you just have to have it. It requires just as much work. And if you become expert on that in your field, then it, everything else will come. So for me, it was like, ah, oh, it kind of is like any other job. It requires a lot of work, mm. but that's any other job. So that was like my mentality um, studying there. And then I applied for WAPA and I was like, I'm going to try to keep this mentality and try to keep it as any, any, any kind of job that I have to work really hard for. So I don't know, it just kind of, it was just always there and I didn't really want to do anything else yeah. with my life. <laughs> like for you right now, do you want to pursue uh, an individual, uh, a sort of solo aspect of theatre performance? Or do you want to go, hey, you know what, I'm interested in a lot of things, uh, writing, you know. Actually, writing is probably the thing that I'm struggling the most okay. with. Like, <laughs> actually putting words down onto a paper yeah. instead of having all these ideas and oh, I'm going to do something like this. But 
So I would definitely collaborate with a writer. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I don't, I don't think theatre is a solo. Even if you're doing a solo, um, it's, it really is a team effort yeah. to, to get something up there. So I would definitely collaborate with people who are stronger in another field than, than I am to make the best kind of work and to bounce ideas and all of that. So I'm definitely, obviously, I love performing, mm. but I would definitely love to try to do something that is not performing to really challenge myself in something different. Mm. I would definitely reach, up, reach out to my peeps when they are more <laughs> successful than me and be like, hey, you want to collaborate? <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is, I have to say, that this is the secret plan of the Birkin Chronicles, so I'll wait for 10 years, and then when I come... Hello, uh, remember me, Ryan, uh, I um, interviewed you 10 years ago, and, you know, it's time to back the uh, Birkin Chronicles, and by the way, I'm unemployed, so um, can you give me some work, please? <laughs> yep. Uh, see, I think we're... <laughs> I have to say, if anyone heard that, that, that laugh was Corey. Um, Julia's boyfriend, who is a third-year dancer. Yes, and hopefully one day he will be appearing in his own volume of the chapters of the Chronicles. This um, was a preview. <laughs> a little preview. And Corey just opened the door. <laughs> you want to say hi, Corey? G'day, g'day, g'day. <laughs> oh, that was funny. <laughs> what, what happened? Just, uh, I took my headphone out and then just heard what you said and I was just like, yeah. What? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> at least I'm making some sense. Laughing oh. at our <laughs> future <laughs> unemployment. <Yeah. laughs> our future yeah. reality. Well, we're all performers, so we don't think that's not our future. It's some content. Yep. Uh. But the one thing I was going to raise, like, I think, because I was talking, yeah, to... to you know, the mechanics. So like, I came and I was talking to Julia and Corey before. And yeah, Julia reminded me that I feel like this, like working in the arts is like the most entrepreneurial mm. activity or business you can go into. Like there's a lot of working like collaboration mm. and yeah, stuff like that. Stuff like that. I think the, the pinnacle with our course is that and to, to really be the the independent artist as we are taught to be is to have that idea or that desire to to tell a story or to oh this this is needed on on stage in contemporary theater is anyone doing it oh all right i'm i'm going to have to do it and then you kind of like pull pull all the strings and talk to all all the people around you and use those networking skills that you get mm. and kind of sometimes you have to be that center point because it's your initial thought and if you can't get any work elsewhere you're gonna have to be the work <laughs> yeah you're gonna have to be the work <sighs> we have a very big no in our industry especially with the yes being so small we're very driven for it mm. yeah. I had um, when I went back to Sweden just last week, I spoke to two of my friends and um, over over dinner, and they actually asked me, "How can you stand all those no's that you get so often? Because <laughs> it's like fifty no's and one yes, and it's like I would 
they told me I would have been devastated if I would have gotten so many no's. And <laughs> especially from an acting point of view, that the no's can sometimes or quite often be just because of appearance. You were great, but you just didn't look right. Yeah. And how devastating that can be. But that's what we have to do. We have to accept those no's and that it's not personal all the time. <laughs> no's are just loose change in the pockets. Yeah. Well, not nowadays with cards and stuff. It's just <laughs> loose change in our pockets. We, it's there and it's only useful at the times for spare change. Mm. But it's, it's, it's the experience that gets us through that small change. Mm. Yeah. And then we have a big note and we're like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, got that big note. <laughs> that big... I the big note that you don't want to break. <laughs> Oh, I don't care if it's greasy or being soiled or as long as I get something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to know what I'll that means. Out of the dirt. <laughs> yep. Julia, I got this question here. Whose artistic work inspires you? Actually, the the one that stands out to me, and the first thing that comes to mind is actually Folktheatern i Jabloborg which is um, when I was 10 there was this local there is this local theatre company in the town where I grew up yeah. which is Jävle in Sweden it's about two hours north of Stockholm yeah. on the east coast and they started sort of a theatre course for teenagers and kids yeah. because they needed extras for The Wizard of Oz that they were putting up like at that time yeah so then they were they were like oh we need kid actors oh let's train them ourselves so <laughs> so from a, from a young age we got to be extras or kid actors in in yeah. some of their productions throughout my years and i always want to see their type of work even you know when i wasn't in it and they did their versions of Chekhov or Shakespeare or Moliere was such a special way of doing things and they have a very very like an amazing artistic eye for traditional and contemporary theatre the way they put it up and and like the shows that they put up and it has really inspired me in what I like in theatre and what I think is successful in the way it's made so I think that has been an like a huge artistic influence all throughout my um, my teenage life and my my childhood and then eventually my young adult life <laughs> obviously other work too but that's the most concrete and that has has the, the most influence do you have like a specific taste to watching or do you just oh the Any, anything that's weird <laughs> <laughs> I do like quite I don't really like performing heightened theatre yeah. but I love watching heightened theatre or heightened films such as Wes Anderson yeah. movies that aesthetic uh, kind of feel I think it's very interesting to to watch to that suspense suspended belief yeah. and it, but I don't really like performing it because <laughs> it, it takes so much technique <laughs> and otherwise taste well I I love musicals who doesn't love musicals yeah. I think I like musicals because it has so many breaks in it mm. it 
you have a scene, there's a break, you have a scene, there's a, there's a break, and anything that's good. <laughs> it's just quite, I have to say that in Julia and Corey's lovely apartment, I'm looking at this picture, and we're talking about it before, <laughs> um, and it's, uh, I have to say, Julia particularly chose this picture, it's, to describe it, it's basically, think of a lovely uh, rainbow, and in the in the sort of front or the foreground of the rainbow, you, you see this unicorn, this pink. You know, the, think of a traditional pink yeah, unicorn with the mane, and it's all lovely. However, and this is the really interesting part of the picture, uh, the unicorn is a zombie of sorts, with its front head slightly decayed and its its horn, I think, slightly bloodied. Actually, it's got a couple of shot holes through the neck, and you can see quite a bit of its rib cage, um, its bare bones, and it's got this interesting tongue, lots of blood. Mm. I yeah, I think that's kind of my my taste when it comes to <laughs> more, more general general things. Very beautiful, beautiful things that is decayed, <laughs> dead. <laughs> Because I have to say, I, I particularly, because that's sort of my t taste in a way, I like, see, last year um, Julia was a part of uh, the, the solo stage last year, and they performed at the Subiaco Arts Centre, mm -hmm. and I, I, rem I particularly liked your solo because it was a personify, you, see, this is sort of what I like, personifying something, like personifying meta, like death, if mm. death was a person, or, or love, or you know, hate, or you know, taking those big universal ideas. So yeah, mm. uh, watching Julia's like you were death. Yep. And like as that. like a businesswoman. Yeah. I I said her. I gave her kind of a sixties style because for me that's very much an a type of uprise in in women in working spaces. Yeah. Kind of. I just. It feels like a very specific aesthetic that I, I like to give her. But yeah, it's interesting to have those almost mythical beings or, you know, higher beings, almost archetypes mm. in, in a way, not really, but in a way, and giving them specific characteristics. I think that's very interesting too. And you can, you can do so much with it. Yeah. You can go for one end of the spectrum and make a very, very... I don't know, depressed um, <laughs> businesswoman who needs a holiday, or you can go to the other end of the spectrum and make um, a very typical death uh, inspired by the seventh sale. <laughs> yes, with full scythe, and I like the uh -huh. particular ending with the full scythe and getting on the black robes and, mm. and, and the skeletal features, putting them on with gloves and a mask. Yeah, like that hood. The hood. Yeah. Now, I'm looking at my uh, sort of cheat sheet, or my question sheet. And I've got this bit... I don't know, see, sometimes I'm just... I'm typing my little, you know, intros and my devising my key questions. And for some reason... So, Julia, can nothing be something? Can nothing be something? <laughs> yeah. Nothing is something. At least if you look at... Uh, the never-ending story where it's the main antagonist <laughs> yeah. uh, the nothingness eats the whole world can nothing be something 
Yes, I'm gonna say yes. It can be something. Can it be performance? Maybe. Maybe. Can nothing be a performance? Maybe. Ah, that's right. I think this is a subcom sub sub subconscious question. That's right. Was it a previous? Ah, oh, God. See, I have no idea why I asked you that question. I I, I think I had a. I used. To, I I've forgotten it now. Mm. I've forgotten why I asked you that question. But I think it's like the crux of this whole entire chapter of the Chronicles. Mm. Why did I ask Julia that? Because I am nothing. <laughs> no, but I don't. As I was saying first in the intro, we're talking about um, a tilt, mm -hmm. the final independent uh, performance project of the BPA course, and we're chatting before about it's such an interesting, not 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 to get it, not not to talk about, not to badmouth anyone or get into salacious detail or whatever, but you would agree with me that the process of creating a show from scratch, you've got a deadline. If you've got a set limited amount of resources, it can be you know, quite a task. Oh, definitely. Such a task. And changes mm. all the time. And I remember, so in, in Tilt, we can be in groups or you can have a solo mm. if you want to. We are four people in my group. But I remember talking to Alex Beard, who's doing a, a solo, mm. and I asked him, do you find it easier doing a solo because you don't have to ask anyone else in your group mm. if, if they like this or not and to have their permission to put it up on stage? Yeah. But in a way, he kind of thought that it was almost harder because you have no yeah. one to bounce ideas with except for your mentors and if you ask <laughs> someone particularly to, uh, to bounce ideas with you. And it's both... A blessing to have other people to rely on and to talk to them to get inspiration from them to give inspiration to them and they can make something different with that but it can also be it can also be devastating when you have a great idea and then it's being put down because because of reasons maybe it wasn't as good as I I thought or or they're relying on someone else also that oh, they've probably done something but they rely as much on me that oh she has probably done something and because of that it's it's always like an asking procedure yeah you kind of have to ask do you like this is this good um, should we put this in the show and that is it's sometimes frustrating because sometimes it goes it's it goes really slow but it's an interesting process and how much it changes from one day to another. It's very interesting. Mm. It's a lot of, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm really in deep thought. Yeah. <laughs> and concentrating. I was going to say constipated, but no, I'm not constipated. <laughs> in deep thought and constipated. <laughs> I think that's, uh, so yeah, actually, good segue. <laughs> Because I think like there's a definite, there's a trap in a sense when you're devising something that you can be in too much deep thought mm. and you can't. So when you're in, when you're in the rehearsal room, Julia, mm -hmm. obviously you, you, you do have, do you, do you prefer to talk or talk, talk or talk? No. Would you prefer to talk or actually get up in the space and try material, see if it works in, you know, the body? Yeah, it depends if we have 
if we, for example, have a deadline for a new elevator pitch, for example, then it's necessary for us to sit down and just talk about it. But in general, a schedule has really helped us mm. to have a set schedule of things we do each rehearsal. So we have the warm-up, we have the greeting circle, we have some training to, to, to get out of our heads. And then we have a show-and-tell mm. of... Maybe this is a secret formula that I'm not allowed to tell anyone. <laughs> um, but then we have a show and tell of things that we have found in our spare time. And it could be a text, it could be a video, it could be a movement sequence. And yeah. then we take that and we put that together with something else. So it's it's quite easy for, I think... I know that it's not only our group, but it's easy to get stuck in our heads mm. and to sit and talk for a really long time about the theme, about the idea. And then when it comes to getting up and doing things, you only have 15 minutes before the rehearsal is over. So we really try to give ourselves a lot of time to try a lot of different things and to try before we say no. Someone presents something, let's try it. Yes or no, stay or go. And then we go from there and we definitely do both and talking the talking bit kind of comes natural for us and the getting up and doing things we have to plan we have to say all right let's do it let's get up and do something and it works for us yeah <laughs> I don't know how it is in other groups but I have a feeling that some groups would agree with me in this <laughs> yeah well Remembering, trying to remember my experience, I think mm. that's a really, a brilliant formula. That's really, really brilliant. And I think that is the key to success, showing and telling at the end. And yeah, see, the, the reason why I like this particular process is because, so it is, yeah, it's, I think it, it is important to sort of, oh yeah, get used to high guys. Like if you, I don't know if you rehearse like, I don't know, like weekly or, um, I don't know, every so often, like once every couple of days or if if you do have like a space of time apart, I think that is important to mm -hmm. have a bit of breathing space and acknowledge the world that can potentially inspire art. But it's good to warm up and reconnect. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really important. And the showing and telling, I like, uh, I really like that because cause you never know in this business, you really never know when, oh, I was watching this guy, oh, for example, I went to the bookshop today and this the secondhand bookshop and I went in and there was this uh, this this small lady reading and she was chatting to the bookkeeper the owner and, it, and who was this like old man who must be 90 and he's, and he's very old-fashioned he's got like this he's wearing an apron half a, a, a dark blue apron and, and I was just trying to find some plays and he's like <laughs> and very interesting he's like and um, are you there uh, hello, uh, are you happy there browsing <laughs> through the, the books? And I was like, um, no, I'm actually looking for this play. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. And, and, you know, from that you can take in you know, a character, the atmosphere, all these books, you know, ideas, designs, concepts. Mm. Um, Definitely. Mm. And even exaggerating them even more. Yes. Even if you find a really exaggerated character, you go, oh, wow, these actually do exist. <laughs> and then you can just take it somewhere completely different. You love you love your characters, Ryan. Yes, I know. You find you find the most amazing characters. I've seen that in performance makings platform several times. 
Oh, I find the weirdest. But but I don't know. Like, do you do you believe truth is stranger than fiction? Yes, because it's not constructed. Mm. And to see, well, obviously some things you can't really find in real life, and true life. That's why fiction exists. But it's it's a construct. Mm. You've constructed this play or this performance or this book or this story it's even if it's based on real life it's still fiction Mm. and it can be as strange as you want but it's still fiction some really weird horror horror stories can be based on true events but it's still it's still just fiction but then when you find something in real life a documentary or just someone you see it in the city and you're like this is a real person this is a real story Mm. this is real wow this happened what Mm. but if the same thing would have happened in fiction i would have reacted yes it's fiction it's a construct yeah has that the 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 notion of agency yeah yeah yeah. if, if something happens right um in front of your eyes obviously being an artist, you know, you, you, you walk many paths and paths and one day you could just be working for, you could just walk in for an exercise, but then another day you could be walking for inspiration, working. Mm. Yes. Anyway. Strindberg used to walk two hours, I think, every morning before he sat down and wrote. Did he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I oh, think it was two hours. Around Stockholm. Wow, that's right. Yeah, he's a Swedish playwright, isn't he? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> I actually watched a dream play not too long ago in the in the Spiegel tent at Whopper. Yeah. The, um, the actors right. put it up. And I just sat there and I went, oh yes, Swedish depression as <laughs> its best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, what's it? Uh, Sweden. It's, it, to me, it sounds like one of those, you know, magical... Like the Nordic countries, Doesn't it's one exist. of those. <laughs> it's this weird. Um, I hear some uh, watching some YouTube as I usually do, and these uh, you, you tend to. I, I heard these British comedians, mm-hmm. and they'd always joke. They were joking about you know with the Brexit and all that, and oh, yeah. you know a lot of people are you know joking that you know it's basically the apocalypse, mm-hmm. basically, and they <laughs> and they always says, oh, at least we've always got the Nordic countries. <laughs> It's funny, I was, yeah, I was listening to this podcast and this guy saying, yeah, I, I can go to the Nordic countries, but I'll, I'll have to learn Danish. And then one of the guys goes, you don't have to learn Danish or Swedish or, you know, their language. They speak English really well, <laughs> even better than us. And he's like, oh, it's a, it's a, a paradise. I know, it's like, I feel like, nah, I'm just going to stop there because I'm going to open a whole can of worms with my thought. <laughs> Anyway, but I have to say, time has ticked. But before we leave and depart the airwaves, Julia, I'm going to sign off and I'm going to ask you a very important question that you do not know about. I'm ready. Well, actually, you do know about because apparently you listen to the show, which is great. (laughs) I'm not saying this, sorry. So, Julia, in the year 2027, when we meet again, Mm -hmm. we might be in Melbourne, we might be in Perth, we might be even in Sweden. 
God, I hope, I hope I'll I, make sure that happens. <laughs> well, God, I hope I make it a success. Or I'll force have you some to money. come. I'll, have, I'll open a big... I can see I'm going to open like a big mortgage to do 10 years and I'll be with the bank guy. No, oh, I did this podcast and um, I need... When I was young and I stupid. Need, when I was young and I need a million dollars to build this portable studio to take all over. Anyway. So, sorry. So anyway, the year is 2027. Julia, what would you like to plug, promote? I don't know, like... You don't necessarily, necessarily, now here's a trick, because there's this answer that I've been trying to get from people, Yeah. but I don't want to, I don't want to force them to say this answer because I don't think so, but not necessarily, you don't necessarily have to plug or promote a play, an autobiography, a DVD, or you can do something else. <laughs> that I do what? <laughs> I don't know, it's... Yeah, what do you see yourself? Yeah, well, I probably see myself doing these like self-help DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> self-help DVDs. No, hopefully not. You never know. Hopefully not. Um, I hopefully see myself having travelled and gone places and done things here and and there and just been all over the place but in 10 years time hopefully f- like found that i founded some grounding yeah. maybe that i f- i find myself in one place maybe with one theater company that might be it has to, it has kind of the same ensemble it has kind of the same board artistic people in it and we know each other really well mm. and have really great dynamic and we just put up play after play after play after play after performance after performance and it's a great success <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I I hope that I can find some stability in in life and kind of hopefully find a normality yeah. in this type of industry that I and career that I've chosen that I can still kind of find myself having an everyday life in it so it kind of becomes this concrete job that I can go to every day because in 10 years time I think I think I I'm longing for some stability and for some just normality. I'm gonna be old then. <laughs> My oh, body no. won't keep up. <laughs> but why is it a very yeah important thing? Normality. I think it. Yeah. I think it's a way of being safe, as well. Yeah. Having not not a safety net, but having having a place to be connected to and being able to focus on other things as well so I can do that but I can also do I don't I don't know but I think I think we long to feel a lot of us long to feel safe yeah to feel to feel safe to, to feel like we have concrete things around us yeah. so yeah even if it's a f- financial safety or if it's emotional safety that we kind of have that little, I'm 
kind of putting my arms around me in a, in a self-hug, yeah. <laughs> hugging myself to feel safe. But I think, I, I don't know if that's an instinct, if it's instinct or what it is, but if we are safe, we can survive. If we can survive, then we can do things that makes us happy. If we do things that makes us happy, we can strive for our passion, da 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 da, da so on and so forth. So hopefully that's what I will do. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Julia, I wish you, <laughs> I hope you do find some normality in this weird. Not now. Not now. Uh, but in 10 years. <laughs> in 10 years time. Julia, thank you. Thanks.